This is Poured Over, a show about stories presented by the booksellers of Barnes & Noble. Hello, uh, I'm Kat Sarfis, forever bookseller at Barnes & Noble. Today we are joined by the lovely Marjorie Liu. Marjorie is a best-selling novelist and comic book writer. Her work at Marvel includes the series X-23, Black Widow, Han Solo, Dark Wolverine, and Astonishing X-Men. <laughs> She's also the co-creator of Monstrous from Image, which has won multiple Hugo Awards, British Fantasy Awards, the Harvey Award, and five Eisner Awards, making Lou the first ever <laughs> woman and woman of color to win an Eisner in the Best Writer category. Welcome. Thank you so much for being here with us. Oh, thank you for having me. It's a delight. Yes. So that introduction, I feel, uh, just scratches the surface in a way um, between your novels <laughs> Uh, short stories, novellas, comics. You are a very busy woman, um, but I would love to hear. <laughs> I like can't even fathom all of it, but I would love to hear about how you got into writing comics because I had <sighs> read that you you didn't really read comics no. as, a, as a kid. And so no. how did this start for you? You know, I think if a fortune teller had to track like if they were asked when I was a child, if, if when I was a child, if they had been asked like to to sort of predict my future, it would have been really difficult because I'm that person who's always swerving in mm -hmm. wild directions. I did not grow up with comics. My friends were reading comics, but I didn't really have access to comic book stores, not mm -hmm. until I turned 18. And what got me into comics was I really enjoyed that uh, that 90s X-Men cartoon on Fox. As we all did. It was fantastic. Honestly, yes. it was great. <laughs> it was so good. It was so good. And I had never thought about the X-Men. I had never really thought about superheroes before that. Like, yeah, I'd watched the films, like the, like the Christopher Reeve Superman film, the Michael Keaton Batman film, but that was it. So I went away to college and just down the street, uh, there was a little comic book store in Appleton, Wisconsin called Powerhouse Comics. And I wandered in one day and I just, I, I picked up some X-Men, some Punisher, some Wonder Woman, some Batman. I didn't have any direction. I just grabbed the books because the art looked cool. And suddenly I became obsessed. I became this huge fan. Um, I was collecting comics. I had the the long boxes. Like it was, nice. like I had it all in the same way that I didn't imagine myself becoming a novelist or a writer professionally. I certainly never imagined that I would write comics. Like that was not, that was not part of the plan. It was not part of the plan when I wrote my first novel. It was not part of the plan after I published that book, nothing. But what happened was it was very fortuitous, right place, right time. Mm -hmm. um, I met my it was the first time I was meeting my agent and it was around Halloween and her son ran up and he was dressed as Spider-Man. And that began a conversation about, oh, you know, I love comics. I love Marvel, et cetera. And she knew an editor at Simon and Schuster or at Pocket and Pocket had just signed a licensing deal with Marvel to publish um, X-Men novels. And so I said, well, you know, I would, I would love to take a stab at that. And she said, sure, you know, let's see what we can do. Next thing I know, I'm writing an X-Men novel, which was so fast much forward, fun. Yeah. Yeah, fast <laughs> forward, like, like literally she was like, well, let me see what I can do. And two months later I had a contract and I was writing this book. Like the book came out, like I sold my first novel in 2004 and this X-Men novel came out in 2005. <laughs> it just was really fast. Immediately after. Immediately. Yeah. I heard through the grapevine that the folks at Marvel, they had to approve the book 
um, the content of it because it was their, you know, it's their licensed material yes. and that they, they liked the work I did. So that gave me the courage to go up to them, their head of recruitment at the first New York Comic Con. You know, as my, as my dad always says, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. <laughs> so always, you always have to ask. They're going to say yeah, no and then you move exactly. on. Yeah. So I just, I just marched myself up and I said, listen, you know, you don't know me, but if you ever need a writer, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> here I am. They were like, well, okay. And, you know, it took three years, but, but I was, I would just keep sending little emails and nudging them here and there. And three years later, they found a book to put me on. And the first book at Marvel that I did was um, NYX, No Way Home, about teenage mutants living like homeless on the streets of New York. It just took off from there. I got my foot in the door. Um, I Googled, how do you write comic books? <laughs> Pro tip, everyone. <laughs> just How to get into comics. Just Google. Google, Google it. <laughs> even even in, the, in the early 2000s, that worked. Yep. <laughs> And I just never quit. I just never quit. I really loved it. I really loved writing in that medium. It was so freeing. Yes. And, and we love you writing in that medium. And I mean, you've been <laughs> responsible for some, I mean, as much as, yes, it's it's fun and it's just, it, you know, it's enjoyable. I mean, you've also been responsible for some uh, monumental moments. I mean, of course, you know, I'm going to talk about, you know, Astonishing X-Men in 51, issue 51. I mean, with Northstar, I mean, that's, that's crazy. I mean, people are still talking about yeah. that that today and what that meant for the LGBTQ community. That's a huge moment. And, yeah. and the fact that that resonates, um, that that will forever live and that will always be, you know, something that people sort of look towards. It's just crazy to think, you know, how, how you started, how, you know, and then, and sort of your trajectory with Marvel and then now sort of uh, branching off, <laughs> you know, with image and monstrous and, and now with this, that's an amazing journey for you. Thank you. It, it, actually, it has been in ways that I could never have predicted. No. And mm -hmm. I had, I had also read, and I love this. I love asking writers about this because it's so fun to me, um, that you had also dabbled a bit in fan fiction. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you a little bit about that. And, and do you still have any? Do you, do you keep them no. near and dear? Oh, no. Oh, <laughs> gosh. Oh, gosh. No, like, listen, fortunately or unfortunately, I suffer from a condition of amnesia around all of my work. So honest, like, and this oh, is actually, <laughs> I, well, you know, it's it probably, yeah. I mean, it's, um, I actually wrote about this in an essay once where I don't remember, like, I know I've written romance novels. I know I've written short stories. I know I've written all of this. I cannot tell you what they were about. I can't tell you the names of the characters. I can barely tell you the titles, like they are erased. And so so what it's like I released do, from you and then released from me. I when it comes when it, creatively, I live in the present. And so I know that everything I'm working on now, in about five years or so after it's done, I won't remember it anymore. And I'm like, well, I don't know what that is, but I live with it. Yep. But when it but I will say, um, I wrote I started writing fanfic, I think, when I was 18. And and I like I I know it's like I the only thing I know about it for sure is that it's awful. But <laughs> what I <laughs> But what I will say is that it was a really great um, way to practice writing mm -hmm. and to practice um, character development, to practice dialogue, to practice world building in a very yeah. safe space where there was no judgment, where one could be completely anonymous and just like just throw yourself into practicing the art of, of creating world um, because it's. 
I think it's it's very difficult to find a space to do that when you're, you know, when you just want to try your hand at writing, but you don't want it to be serious. Yeah. You know, like we you don't just want to play. You want to play. And there aren't many opportunities to do that. But fanfic is actually an area in which people can play and and while they're playing, develop their skills as a writer. I think it's so interesting whenever I hear about a writer who like, you know, dabbled in it. And, and there's, it's, it's way more than you think. It, it's oh my like, gosh. It's dark. I mean, not that it's a dark secret, obviously. Um, yeah. I think it, to, you know, like you said, it just, it was a way to explore and grow, but uh, it is amazing to me how many, when I bring it up, they're like, oh yeah, like, of course, you know, yeah. why again, like it was, it was that safe space for me to, to grow. And I think that's, it's just so much fun. Earlier this year, uh, you had a middle grade graphic novel come out, Wing Bearer, uh, which is so great. Thank um, you. I was so I enchanted. I love that little book. Um, I was so enchanted with Zuli. Um, and now you have The Night Eaters, which is a bit of a 180. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Definitely different tone. Just, just a bit. <laughs> um, but so uh, it got me thinking. I, I had this wonderful conversation with Tate Kingfisher, and there's this quote that she said that I love. Um, and it says that she said that inside every children's book author is a horror author just waiting to come <laughs> out. Um, and now, obviously, you have um, co- you're the co collaborator of Monstrous, uh, which is so it's not quite the same. Obviously, that was that was first, um, and then and then you know you had um, the Wing Bear. But I am curious what it's like uh, switching between writing uh, these series, you know, so you're obviously, so, you know, you still have mantras and then, then this adorable wing bear, and then you have this sort of horror, <laughs> the night eaters. How do you handle that swapping off? Yo, that's a really good question. I actually am not <laughs> sure. <laughs> that's okay. I am. Well, no, I mean, but it, I think it's, I think it's worth contemplating. The one thing that I work from is a very particular intentionality. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the same across all of these different works. And that intentionality has to do with uh, trying to dig deeper into ideas of hope and yeah. compassion and healing and chosen family and blood yes. family. Mm-hmm. And so those ideas connect monstrous they connect wing bear they connect the night eaters and so i think because um that sits at the root of of where i'm working from those ideas i'm able to switch from epic fantasy to a different kind of fantasy that's very sweet um to horror you know supernatural horror um because in some ways, I'm just, I'm not telling the same story. They're all radically different, but, but there's, but the intention remains yes. the same. Mm-hmm. No, and that, you know what? It's funny that you say that. And now thinking back, it's like, oh yeah. But you know, to, to think of them in the same space is wild, but mind boggling. Yeah. But, the, but then I also, find it mind boggling. Yeah, but then also, <laughs> you know, these strong female characters, um, you know, varying obviously in ages, you know, a little bit of the fantastical and, and these sort of a, the element of, of adventure and yeah. And compassion and hope. And I, I, all I have to say is despite the, don't let the middle grade uh, sway you. I, 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 as an adult, I very much. <laughs> I really appreciate that. There's so much whimsy in, in middle grade and young readers or however you want to categorize them. 
Um, and sometimes it's nice to take a take a break <laughs> and sort of indulge in that sort of that that whimsy and that and that in those childhood fantasies. Um, it's just it can be a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah. and Wing Bear, it was just delightful. Thank you. Well, you know, life is hard. And, yes, yes. and the one thing that I really enjoyed, I, I the one thing I really enjoyed about writing Wing Bear is that um, you know, Zuli has a lot to learn and but she's open hearted. Yes. And she listens and she always reaches first. Like she she approaches the world from a place of of um, kindness. Mm-hmm. And and I really enjoyed living in that and yeah. being immersed in that when I was writing her character. Um, you know, it's it's uh, I I felt like I needed more of that. <laughs> yes. Like sometimes we all do. <laughs> yes. Um, Okay, so I, as I as promised, getting into uh, let's get into the night view. So this is your uh, second collaboration with uh, yeah. Sana Katita, yes, who who is amazing, and uh, I've seen um, this book described as a combination of monsters by Barry Windsor Smith, uh, which <laughs> that was like my favorite uh, graphic novel last year, um, and Crazy Rich Asians by Kevin Kwan, which is uh, an insane mashup, um, but also pretty accurate um so how how did this project start for you uh randomly um i listen i i did not expect to write this book this book was not part of the plan um Mm -hmm. you know before the pandemic sana and i had touched on the idea of of doing a second project in addition to monstrous um both of us are very creatively hungry people we're both very self-disciplined and and we like to work um and so we were like oh you know what would be the other thing that we do like blah 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 but we never really pushed it it was mm-hmm. just we floated it um and then the pandemic happened and and this was at the height of the pandemic pre vaccines everyone was on lockdown you know it was you know i i think it's still recent enough that i think folks remember what that was like yeah and i was i was stuck at home um you know fortunately i had my work so I was already working from home. So that wasn't much of a, I was very lucky in that regard. Very lucky too, that I didn't lose anyone. I was shuffling around watching a ton of horror movies. Um, I found them very cathartic. I think they were a good way of binding my anxiety mm-hmm. um, and gardening. Uh, I spent way too much time on Zillow imagining what it would be like. <laughs> I, like I was no, I was, I was a pandemic stereotype. Yep. I really, really was imagining what it would, what it'd be like to live in other Towns, looking at houses I couldn't afford, all of it, all of it. But coming back to the horror movies, uh, I've been, I was, I was really indulging. I was watching mm-hmm. a lot of them. Um, and one day I thought to myself, and it gave me a good chuckle. I, I imagined what it would be like if my grandmothers and my aunts, all of whom are really tough, tough women, like really, like yo, don't meet them in a dark alley, kind of. What would happen if they encountered a ghost, if they encountered a haunted house? And I really thought that was hilarious because the ghost would just be annihilated. There would be no, it, it just, it, there wouldn't be any chance yeah. of a haunting because it would just be done. It'd be over. Um, and so I was like, oh, that's, that's really, that's funny. Like, and, and it got me thinking, I sat down and I started sort of just, you know, tip tapping away. And as I began writing, uh, I, you know, I, I narrowed the focus instead of being a bunch of Chinese women, I narrowed it down to just one. And it, it became this story 
about what happens when a Chinese immigrant mother decides that she's going to teach her adult children a lesson inside of a haunted house. And it begins. <laughs> and, and it begins. Da-da! There you go. There you go, kid. I was inspired. Like, this doesn't happen all too often with me. Usually I, I, uh, I plot along. I'm very methodical in my work, and it takes me a while to build up to a story. But this just took off. Like, the characters were there. The world was there. Ipo was there. It was all there. And I was drawing on personal experiences. I was drawing on, you know, conversations I've had with my own family. Um, and the book just poured out of me. A very short time later, <laughs> there was a book. It's here. <laughs> Yo, this happened. Wow. <laughs> all righty. Here we go. Um, here we go. Well, and I, you know, I, I, I texted Sana and I was like, so what do you think? <laughs> you got the bandwidth for this? And she obviously She's complied. Oh, and- not even complied. Sana's like, Sana's ganky. She's like, she's always, she's, I mean, she'll tell me straight up if there's something she doesn't want to do or if she doesn't, if she doesn't like it. But she was like, yeah, no, she's like, I dig it. Let's, let's give this a shot. It's stunning. And I mean, I, I mean, I, I definitely want to get into Ipo because she's hands down my favorite character. I mean, I, I, I gotta, I have a lot of questions about her. Um, and I think she's everyone. I th- honestly, I had you not just sort of love her, I'd just fall instantly fall in love with her. But um, I gotta talk about this cover. I mean, just this is just it's, and you know, you look at the cover and it's you know, it's kind of stunning and it's, it's so many elements. And but then after you finish it, it like you then you look at it again and it just it like yeah, it's it contains multitudes. So oh um, yes, <laughs> I see. I I love to brag. I love to brag on Sana. Sana's yeah. not here, so she can't deflect me. I <laughs> I adore Sana. I think she's a genius. And 100%. she won an oh my gosh, she won Eisner this year for best cover artist and for monstrous. But this cover, all her covers are amazing. But yes. this, this is just it's beautiful. It's a piece of art. It's something you'd want to hang on your wall. It's just yeah. it's absolutely stunning. And again, you know, going back um after you finish reading it. And then, you know, I just sat there and poured over all those elements that she, that she added to and just the, the nods. And then again, I want to get ahead of myself, the creepy doll, which we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think we're, you know, you, you spoil us a little bit. Um, you've given such incredible life to your characters, particularly, you. Uh, you know, monstrous, uh, the, you know, so much rich backstory there. So of course I'm, you know, I'm, I'm reading night eaters. And I have a hundred questions about yes. it, Bo. Uh, yes. You know, who, who is she really? Uh, so, and I hope I'm not giving too much away, but you know, she's, so she's, she's not a demon. Is she a demon eater? And then at one point towards the end, there's something about full dragon. She go, her going full dragon goddess. And I'm just, what's going on? And we do get, you know, flashbacks, but it's, and it's just like a taste and you kind of, you know, it, it, builds, it builds, it builds, it um, builds yeah. and trying to discover you know this, this character um and i obviously can't stop thinking about her <laughs> as i as i rant are we gonna see more are we gonna see more oh, yeah. in future volumes are we gonna yeah. are we gonna delve more into that into what this character um comes from what i'll say about ipo is that she's really been through a lot shall yes. we say yeah she's been through a lot um i think i think like a lot of women a lot of immigrant women um particularly uh, an immigrant woman who seems to come from a particular generation. You know, she reminds me of my, of my grandmother, in a sense, who 
lived a life that I will never be able to conceive of. Um, she, uh, she survived war. She um, survived leaving the mainland and going to Taiwan, then survived immigration to Canada. And each time she had to remake her life and survive over and over and over again. And Ipo reminds me of, you know, of sort of a, a different aspect, a less emotional, a less affectionate aspect of my grandmother who um, has had to remake herself over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And she has had to, to witness things and do things that are probably unspeakable. Yes. Um, or at least you know, very, very difficult. And so it has really shaded the way that she looks at the world. It has made her incomprehensible to her own children. Yeah. Because this is a woman who feels love. We've experienced relatives or parents who we know love us, but they don't express love in the way that we see, for example, in a Hallmark movie. Yay for the Hallmark movie. But that's not how most families are. That's no. not that's not the way it usually works. No, I think there yeah. are shades. There are, are shades of affection. And it's often, you know, when I I have the same, you know, I'll I'll talk, I'll tell stories about my own grandmother. And I'll kind of laugh and like to to see people's like the horror on their faces, like, what? what? <laughs> like what happened? And I'm like, no, it was funny, or like it was that's like that's just what she was, or that's how she yeah. was, you know. And I think to myself, and I always have to then I feel like I have to explain, like. You know, uh, she had a, again a hard, hard life and hard upbringing and and cultural norms and you know, like you start to have to feel like you need to explain it when really, you know, love is love. Love is love, in, and it comes in in many in many shades. And I think, um, and and you do see that because you see how you know she is at the beginning of you know the story, and then when she meets you know her her partner, her mate, and then, yes. <laughs> and then going through you know with her children. And then I kind of, I kind of loved, and again, not to, to give too much away, but even at the end, you know, again, those flashbacks of her with, with her children, you know, when they were younger and, yeah. and you know, th- those of, sort of anxieties of motherhood, which I think are, are, are extremely universal. Um, and so it's like, again, to see that that sort of full range of emotions again, and then, you know, add in all the supernatural elements <laughs> of it, just make it so, so complex um, and so interesting and, and very, very excited. Uh, I won't make you share any more details. Well, We're very, very excited to kind of see that journey. Well, you know, what I will say, you know, the, I, I those flashbacks were very important to me. And I, I feel like they were important to the story because mm-hmm. the one thing, I mean, I thought it was important to give uh, glimpses of, of Ipo that were different from what her own children know about mm-hmm. her. We don't know our parents. I mean, we think we do. You know, all of us have a a practice of dealing with contained worlds. And that practice begins with our families. It begins with our parents because these are individuals that we don't fully understand, but we're completely dependent on for our survival. Yeah. And, you know, as children, we arrive too late. Like, you know, we haven't grown up in their skin. We haven't grown up with their parents, um, their grandparents. We haven't lived their lives. And so it creates this really interesting situation where, you know, we take them for granted in a certain way. We think we understand them, but we don't. I wanted to see if I could get that across in some small way by showing these alternate realities, the alternate reality of the past, 
mm-hmm. you know, um, which influences the present and yes. then the operational reality of the present, which is influenced by the past. And it also speaks to this idea of sort of intergenerational trauma, how, mm-hmm. you know, what our families go through gets passed down to us, whether or not we didn't exist during we weren't born during World War II. Like our grandparents were there and they passed that trauma down to our parents who, you know, a lot of times pass it down to us in different ways as well. And so that was the other thing I was I was playing with as well. And I do feel that, um, you know, how the story goes, you know, the the, it's it's just really beautifully done how you do sort of touch upon these these flashbacks at just at the perfect moment you know just you know you're kind of there there'll be a scene you know if you know with uh billy and millie and then it's you're and you're kind of obviously you know digesting everything that's happened and then you know you sort of again brilliantly like place those place those moments for you to sort of to go back to kind of think maybe and understand think about and understand like everything that you just tried to digest um you know help to help clarify, to help you kind yeah. of, again, that like layer, just layering the story, layering that backstory, layering these characters and, and, and the kind of journey that they're on where they, you know, and, you know, where they've been and how it's, it's led to, to the current point, which obviously brings me, uh, you know, I have to talk about the, the sort of sibling narrative uh, <laughs> next. So, um, so sibling, I love, you know, stories around siblings. I think they're just really interesting. You know, whatever your relationship is uh, with a sibling, I feel like that's mm-hmm. the one person in the world who really um, understands where you came from or like, you know, knows those ticks, knows those beats. Um, so I love sibling relationships and I love Millie and I love Billy. Um, I think there are many hilarious moments between them. And I know we're going to go see more. We're going to see more of them uh, as they uh, as they explore or they start to explore um, this sort of new reality uh, that's just been recently uh, placed before them. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I know that's that's just like a tip of the iceberg right there. So what was the inspiration for those for Billy for Millie? I'm an only child, so mm-hmm. I think though, as an only child, I always craved a sibling. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, being an only child is great. It's fine. <laughs> um, you, you, you know, you got, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> you get everything right. Well, Isn't that, <laughs> well, you know, you do and you don't like, it's mm. weird. It's, it's, I think it depends on the family. It's yes. a double-edged sword, but I will say that I always, um, I always craved having someone else that I, that I could talk to. And I think that sort of longing entered my writing of Millie and Billy, how I created a relationship, which is you know, they're at odds with each other, but they love each other. Oh, like yeah. they they might fight like cats and dogs, but at the end of the day, they will always have each other's backs. That was something that I really enjoyed um, playing with that mm-hmm. dynamic of sort of aggressive love. Yes. <laughs> they're very aggressive with one another. They but are. But in that in that loving, it is in that you loving know that- way. Yes. And I think it is because they're like, they're in the trenches together. And I think that's, yeah. how, you know, what it is, is that they're, they obviously were raised, you know, in this, in this house, they're in it together as much as, you know, they, are, they might infuriate each other there. They are in it together <laughs> Yes, <laughs> for better or worse. Yeah. Um, no, it, it was just, it was so playful and funny and just, you know, especially, you know, when they're, when they're investigating, when again, sorry to give, to give <laughs> away some, but when they're, you know, trying to figure out what's going on with this, with this house. Um, and then when they're in it, um, and, and just kind of seeing them, you know, it's, it was like, you know, buddy up in a way, uh, 
I, I really loved it. Um, so speaking of uh, Billy, uh, there are quite a few uh, Dungeons and Dragons D&D yes. references yes. <laughs> throughout, which are much appreciated, which I very much, very much love. <laughs> so do you, do you play? Uh, what is your, what is your, I, what is your. I have played. I've, I've definitely, I've played it enough to love it and to know what I'm talking about. Yes. And um, <laughs> the thing that really interests me about Millie and Billy um, and what I really sympathize with um, when it comes to their characters is that. You know, Millie is someone who, uh, even though her parents could have cared less, which is very unusual, but her parents could have cared less about her, you know, it's, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that she, you know, she was once in medical school and then she dropped out. Yes. Um, and, you know, she's someone who wanted to be a super high achiever. She wanted to be a good, a good daughter, never felt like she was quite good enough, um, couldn't figure out why, you know, she really tried. And then, and now as an adult feels very frustrated by all of that and sort of unhappy um, that she feels like she still hasn't lived up to her family's expectations, even though they had no expectations at all. And that's that was kind of the crazy that it's, it's all, it's, it's all in her head. Yes, she did that to herself. Yes. yes. Whereas Billy, her brother, he kind of gave up. Like he just, he's <laughs> like, you know what? I am who I am. Um, and I'm still figuring myself out. And this is what I love. I want to live a life less ordinary. Um, I'm just going to do this thing. Yeah. And if I disappoint anyone, you know, okay. And maybe I'm not entirely satisfied with my life, but okay. You know what? It's, it's fine. We see more of that, a little bit more of that in the second book too. Um, I think that becomes slightly more explicit. Both of them, you know, are two young people who are trying to figure themselves out. I feel like, especially now, everywhere I go, I see those little, um, those little signs, like live your best life, or whatever, like little, little meme there is, about, yes, you know, like self-help memes. Everywhere I go, I see it on a wall. Yeah. <laughs> like every, every coffee shop I enter, it's like, live your best life. And I'm like, okay, but you I know, a lot, yeah. but you know, a lot of us, we don't even know what our best lives look like. We're still, it's we're true. still trying to figure it out. Yeah. And that's very much the case with the twins. And that's very much the case with Billy. The real world has become very, you know, is, is, is difficult for him. He finds it very mm -hmm. unsatisfying. And so to live in a world of magic, of D&D, &D, where he can, you know, be the hero, you know, of his mm -hmm. own adventure um, is, is a very, it's very satisfying. It's very nourishing. Um, and it's something I completely sympathize with. <laughs> There is a reason there is a reason why I, I write fiction and why I live in my imagination. Because <laughs> it's there's not a, I, Yes. And there's a reason people gravitate towards um fantasy and horror yes. and all this sort of a um, you know magical realism. It's escapism. Um escapism, in, in a safe absolutely. a safe environment and you can lose yourself um in these narratives and uh and I think that's it, you know, and then the element of play. And I think that's why um I mean it's amazing to see. Um, you know, I think Dungeons and Dragons, particularly with you know Stranger Things, I sort of you know come come back. I mean, not that it ever went away, but I think it's sort of had this you know resurgence. And people, you know, particularly I think during during the pandemic, realizing like, oh, this is this is fun to you know to sort of lose your not only lose yourself in a character, but the character you built. So it's like you you decide. Um, and it's just fun, and it's just it it's is. fun, and I loved you know that that Billy is sort of in that world. And then I love even when he's in, you know, in his own uh, essentially nightmare, um, not nightmare, but he feels is a nightmare. He's still like, oh, critical hit in this, you yeah. know, using these terms. 
Like he's still like kind of he's, he's in, in it. the zone. He's in it. He's in it. Um, yeah. yeah. And thank goodness we are beyond the days of the satanic panic. Oh yes, yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Which is it's it's funny to me that um you know I'm, I'll say that to people and I think they kind of look at me like blink blink and it's like oh. Uh, we don't have time to get into the history. <laughs> the no. history. <laughs> I'm like, I always want to be like, watch the last season of Stranger Things. And then it'll, it, you know, it'll catch up. Yes. Um, but yeah, like where we yeah, where we've come from when it's like, it's, it's play. It's, it's play. It's play. Yeah. Um, which is that it's like literally in our nature to play. And this is yes. just, you know, and to, to kind of gravitate towards those fantastical elements, which is, again, it's just fun. Um, okay. So fantastical elements, Fantastical elements, horror elements. I don't mm-hmm. think it's too much of my I said this, and I, I kind of uh, had to mention this before. Um, you know, uh, because there's 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 one, and I, you know, for those of you who can't uh, aren't watching this, um, but I'm pointing to the cover. How did they come about? Like, was that something that you had written into the story, and then she drew, or is that something that Sana was like, let's add these? Oh no, I wrote it. I wrote it in because I don't <laughs> like creepy dolls. Okay. I really don't Anyone. like them. I still remember when I was a little girl, we lived in this this very uh, unsettling house. It was very scary, very some very scary rooms. And I remember um, on a visit to my grandmother's house, my mom found this old doll of hers uh, in a box, and she brought it home. And it was it was bigger than me. It was like a it was one of those tall, you know, it was a tall doll Ugh. with um, wild hair. The worst. And like, and like googly eyes where when you laid the doll down like it, the eyes were closed yes yeah the eyelids no. would flutter. yeah exactly but anyway she loved this doll and and so she she had it propped <laughs> I, I i swear to god this doll freaked me out i felt like its eyes were tracking me every <laughs> they probably were. i'm gonna say they were because i, I if i was in that situation i would be the same i would feel absolutely Absolutely, the dog was watching you. Absolutely. So no. So we I so I felt like as a small child that our house was already haunted. And then there was this doll. And I was like, no. No, no absolutely not. No. You can't have the both the house and the doll. Like no. that's that's a no-go. <laughs> give me a good stuffed animal, but don't give me a doll. Like dolls I find very unsettling. I find yeah. them very unsettling. And so I was thinking about that. Um, you know, uh, if I'm going to write a horror story, um, I'm going to put in, you know, like a doll was the first thing I, I thought of. But then also um, there was there was a part of me, too, you know, thinking about the discourse around Asian women and how um, Asian women have been fetishized and they have been called, you know, like a China doll. And so that's also what I was thinking about as well, because in which, you know, when one reads the book, I think that will become a little clear. And it's an idea that gets picked up on in the sequel. But this idea that, you know, Asian women, the Chinese women are not actually like they're not they're not seen as human. They're seen as an ideal, of, mm-hmm. you know, sort of the contained, quiet, obedient, um, subservient, you know, a woman. But again, always called a doll, you know, yeah. compared to dolls. And so that was something else I was playing with, um, with this doll motif as well. This year, I mean, well, and I should say what's been released this year. So you've gifted us, uh, we've got a new middle grade uh, yes. graphic novel we've talked about before, Wing Bear. Um, we have a new horror graphic novel, uh, The Night Eaters, which we've been <laughs> talking about. And then there's another volume mark uh, of the epic that is monstrous. <laughs> um, so so that alone, that's a lot. But so, uh, you know, what, 
what's next? What's next for you? What are you working on now? <laughs> what else can you do? What else can I, you give us? I have to, I have to laugh. I'm like, um, that's a really good question. Uh, because uh, you know, I'm, uh, I've written the sequel to wing bear. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, the, the next arc of monstrous kicks off in January. Um, I have uh, written the sequel to the night eaters. It's called her little reapers. Yes. And we get a little, uh, in the back of the book, we see, yeah, yeah that's we, we, a little teaser. Yeah. Although, you know, we, we've got some time to let this one simmer, but yeah. So that's kind of, you know, where I was like, okay, this is the next, we're getting into the kids. We're getting into a million Billy. And so, you know, what comes next is, 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 uh, more, more night eaters. You know, mm-hmm. right? you know I'm, I'm working on that next book, more monstrous. And then also I have to tell you, I miss writing novels. You know, I started out as a romance novelist. Yes. Like I've, I've written, I think maybe 19, close to 19 novels. And I haven't, but I haven't written one since like, like 2014, um, which isn't so long ago, but it's like what, eight that's, years. No, that's a long time. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a, a, a good chunk of, yeah. Yeah. I, I had more or less burned out when you're writing two to three novels a year for eight years, you kind of like, there's, there's a moment where, where you're sort of, you know, you're rethinking life choices. <laughs> <laughs> so I really burned out. You know, it's funny. People talk about mouthfeel when they're discussing food. Yes. Um, but I could say the same is true for for writing books as well, that a comic has a different brain feel, a different mouthfeel than, um, than a novel. And I miss the taste. Like if, if novels have a taste, I miss the taste and the flavor of of writing a novel. I miss that. I miss the density of words. I miss like creating worlds um, with only words. Yeah. Uh, and I miss the flow of sort of dialogue. I miss the seamlessness of writing prose. And because writing, you know, writing comics, I, I mean, I adore it. It's, it's like, it's my favorite medium. Um, it's the perfect intersection of, of prose and film. It's very three-dimensional inside yes. my head. It's a series of choices, you know, choices around timing, choices around scene, all of it. You still have to make the same choices when you're writing a novel, but it's just very, it's just very different. And mm-hmm. I, I miss the feel of it. I totally get that. Cause I think even as a, as a, as someone who reads both you know, novels, short stories, novellas, and and comics, graphic novels. You're still consuming stories, but it is it's it's completely different. Yeah, and um and I do find myself if I'm on a um, you know, on a on a kick where I'm you know just, I'm reading and I I, uh, I I read a lot and so it's so compliant. sometimes when I am reading, you know, a lot of a one type of literature or just really dense books or really heavy books. I always say like, I need a palate cleanser and then I'll yeah. like move on to something else. And obviously for me, it's, it's always graphic novels. That's always like my, like, but then I'll become consumed in that world for, for a bit. And then yep. to your point, uh, you know, you miss it. You're like, oh, all right. You know, you know, now I'm, I'm ready to kind of um, dive back in. And my favorite thing is like, you know, these, I love, I give me a good, like 800 pound, you know, 800, sorry, pound, 800 page epic. <laughs> <laughs> they are kind of 800 pounds too. Yes. Um, but like, you know, those just, just that you just want to completely get lost in. And so I can only imagine when you're, you know, writing that um, it is just, again, getting lost in, in different experiences, yeah. having different flavors. That's so interesting. 
how you how you put it though. I love it. Well, I love it. Thank you. Thank you. You know, it's it's also a skill that I don't want to lose mm-hmm. um, because it's easy. It's it's really easy for certain muscles to atrophy mm-hmm. if you don't put them in practice. I don't want to wake up one day and and say, hey, wow, I really want to write a novel, but my brain doesn't work that way anymore. <laughs> It's no longer possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like, listen, my computer is a graveyard of unfinished novels. Like I've got so many unfinished novels and the hardest thing ever about writing a novel is actually finishing it. People always ask me for writing advice and I'm like, finish what you start. Just finish it. I hear <laughs> that a lot. Finish it. Finish it. You hear that a lot and people, you know, just, you got to get through it. And that's what yeah. editing is for. Like, that's what your editor is for that. You know, you get through it and then, you know, you can go back and revise, but you got to, you just you gotta have to just get it done. Get it like, done. To quote Dolly Parton, uh, what is it? Um, be a professionalist, not a perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, <laughs> get it, just get it done. Get it and, done. Yeah. But like, but my fear is that, that one day I'll wake up and I won't be able to, that I really won't be able to get it done because those skills will have left me. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to discover that in myself. Mm-hmm. Well. I think we then we all need to look forward to the next the next novel by Marjorie <laughs> Liu coming coming sometime soon. Um, so obviously, you know you're 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 very busy, um, and now and now possibly writing a new novel. But um, I love to ask people what they're reading. Um, oh it's, yeah, it's that it's that like window that special window into um, into a person. So what are you what are you reading, or what have you recently read that you really enjoyed? So I really enjoy uh, enjoy Kate Beaton's um, graphic memoir Ducks. Um, I just finished that, and it it's, is so good. Oh my gosh! That it's is ha- like I'm almost like I could, like almost get teared up. I'm like I'm not gonna talk about that much, but yeah, it is. It's it's moving um, yeah. in a way that you don't suspect um, going oh, into I, it. I, I cried. Yeah. Like, I'm, like, it's, I'm starting it's, to like. Yeah. Yeah, I'm starting to be like. Mm. Oh, no, <laughs> Wasn't sure that you were gonna bring this one up. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. As a visual storyteller, I mean her. I mean her writing's amazing. It's always been sharp and and um, you know very evocative. But her her, her visual storytelling mm-hmm. is uh, it's soulful. Yeah. And so you know, I really I really love that book. Um, you know, I, I started reading. Uh, it's actually right here. It's a scholarly work, uh, nonfiction. Dominic Yang wrote a book about um, called The Great Exodus from China. Um, basically talking about the movement of um, about a million mainland Chinese um, after, you know, post-World War II uh, to Taiwan, um, which is what happened with my family. They left the mainland to go to Taiwan mm-hmm. after World War II. And that was, you know, one hears anecdotal stories about that, but I had never read like a scholarly um, book dedicated just to that history. Yeah. And so, you know, I started, you know, I've started that as well. And then RF Kong's um, Babel. That's the book that yes. everyone's reading. Yeah, it's a great book. But Marjorie, uh, I can't thank you enough for um, for being here with us. Thank you again. Um, it's been wonderful. The Night Eaters, uh, She Eats the Night, book one uh, in the Night Eater series is out now. And I cannot highly recommend this book enough. It is just it's wonderful. And I know that the next book, I know you're, you know, it, these things take time, but I just, I cannot wait to devour it. And that is, that's a pun. That's a, <laughs> you're <reading this> book. <laughs> um, yeah. So thank you very much. Night Eaters. It's amazing. Marjorie, thank, thank you. you. This has been oh, a wonderful. I really appreciate you. Thank you for thank having you. me on today. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. 
Hello readers, it's time for another TBR Top Off. And we are going to recommend a couple of books to you to pick up when you stop in for your copy of The Night Eaters. I'm Mark, I'm coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Cincinnati. And I'm Madison, coming to you from my Barnes & Noble in Indianapolis. Both of us have truly fantastic books to recommend. Uh, Madison, if you're cool, I'll go right in. Go right in. Thank you. First off, I am very excited for this episode and have been for a while. The Night Eaters is exquisite. I read it in one sitting. It's beautiful. It's horrifying. And I love it so much. That team is um, a masterclass in graphic novel storytelling. So it made me think about graphic novels and it made me think about horror and it made me think about fantasy. And I thought of Neil Gaiman. Shocker. You guys know I love him so much. Um, He, with uh, artist Colleen Doran, put together a book called Snow Glass Apples, which is a horror retelling of Snow White. They essentially swap the roles of the Wicked Stepmother and um, Snow White, where you have this newlywed mother coming into the kingdom and coming to terms with her truly terrifying new stepdaughter. Man, this book is kind of gross, beautifully told as expected. It's fantastic for the spooky season. And with all of the, I don't know, roughly bajillion fairy tale retellings that are out there, this one really stands above the pack. So please check out Snow Glass Apples by Neil Gaiman. Madison, what do you have for us? Don't you just love when retellings take you someplace you don't expect them to? Yes, there are so many out there that they are all starting to kind of feel the same. So when somebody does something a little bit fresher and a little bit more exciting, you just are you want to consume it all. You're all over it. So mine is not a retelling. It's also not a graphic novel, but I think it should be recreated into one. And it is Bunny by Mona Awad. I just finished this. It was unnervingly brilliant. You'll be sitting there at the end thinking, what did I just read? But in the best way. I explain it as like, if you take mean girls, put the mean girl click into college, put them in a cult, add witchcraft and add horror. And you get this like beautifully grotesque tale that is just utterly amazing. It kind of has everything you would want for like a horror novel. And I, again, I feel like if it got a chance to be a graphic novel, it would probably be the most disgusting yet beautiful graphic novel there ever was and that was bunny by mona awad i'm still thinking about it and i'll continue about it (laughs) such a good pick madison that book is fantastic it is like eating a cupcake with a nail baked inside it's messed up and very very entertaining nice choice yay Well, that is all we have for today. Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning into Port Over. Please make sure to give us a rating and subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us at Barnes & Noble. Pretty simple. I'm Mark. You can follow my home store at BN Westchester. And I'm Madison. You can follow my home store at BN River Crossing. Thanks, everybody. Happy reading. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. Board Over is a Barnes & Noble production. To help other readers find us, please rate and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts.